through First John. And, you know, it's people often wonder, like, Pastor Derek, how do you get to these series and how do you get to the sermons and, like, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, I preach expositionally. So what that means is that I, I follow where the, where the text takes me. Like, I don't just sort of make up anything. Like, I go where the text tells me to go. And so uh, today the text took us to a, a very interesting spot. And we're going to talk today about a proven desire. Proven desire. And so we're going to talk about lust today. Ew. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> and so, listen, I know that's, uh, uh, you know, a bit taboo. Like, we're going to talk about that kind of stuff in church. But, listen, we all experience lust in one form or another. And so we want to help you with that. Amen? Because John is going to help us with some of that today. And so, First John chapter 2, and I'll be in verses 15 through 17. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn there. If not, we'll have it for you on the screen. It's already there. Look at that. Hey, can we give my son a hand back there? My son has been serving in the same spot, the same way, for two years. He doesn't complain. He doesn't get upset. He's like, Dad, I need some help, but... (laughs) And so, listen, if you are technologically savvy, help him out. If you aren't technologically savvy, help him out. (laughs) He's like, man, I just want to sit and, like, hear the word and worship. So, y'all help free my son up. And, additionally, he's 18. So, he's about to go to college uh, in a few short months. And so, when he's gone, he's gone. And so I don't want y'all looking around like, Pastor, we ain't got the words on the screen. We can't, we don't know what the songs are. And Pastor, we can't even follow along with it. Listen, somebody should have got over there and helped him and learned while he was here how to do it. Amen, amen, amen. That's the end of my uh, commercial. And so John chapter 1, John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Hear these words of our Father. It says, do not love the world. Or the things in the world. My gosh. If anyone loves the world, listen to this, hear the clause. It says, The love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, which includes the lust of the flesh, somebody say flesh, the lust of the eye, somebody say eyes. And the pride, say pride, in one's possession or the pride of life. He says, those things are not from the Father, but from the world. And hear this. says, the world and all its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of the Father will endure forever. Father, help us to endure. God, help us to endure through the challenges of faith and walking in with you. God, help us to navigate the difficulty, God, of fighting against our flesh, turning down our sinful desires. And God, help us not to love the world, but to have the love of God on the inside of our heart. And so, Father, I pray that as we hear these words, we might respond by saying, Lord, help us to obey. Father, it's in that same spirit that I pray, God, that you would stand in my body and think through my mind and speak through my mouth. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength, my redeemer. The whole church said, Amen. Amen. So, I'm not going to be preachy today, okay? Um, but I am going to preach <laughs> the word to you this morning. But the Lord told me to take my time this morning so you guys can understand what it is I'm saying. Okay? So, Jackson Brown 
Jr. was a 77-year-old man who once said, I've learned that if you give a pig and a boy everything they want, you'll get a good pig but a bad boy. Mr. Brown understood something very clearly is that you can't always get what you want. See, our our desires are not always properly aligned with God's desires. And therefore, we can't always get what we want. Sometimes we commit ourselves and believe in our minds that we should get everything that we pray for. We believe in our minds that we should get everything that we ask God for because we believe that we know best. But sometimes God is saying to us, listen, you don't always know what's best for you. In fact, most of the time, you don't know what's best for you. And I always know what's best for you. So I heard your request, but I've got something better for you. But what we do is we often, we, we ask God for something and he doesn't give it to us and we turn into spiritual brats. We start kicking and screaming, whining and complaining. God, you didn't do this. God, you didn't do that. But God is all the while saying, I was protecting you and you didn't even realize it. And so I want to submit this idea to us today is that if we're going to prove it, then our desires must match God's desires. If we're going to prove it, then our desires must be properly aligned with kingdom desires and with the desires of heaven if we're going to prove it. And the way that we do that is this. I want you to see this. This is my first idea. Is that your desires cannot be divided. Your desires cannot be divided. Verse 15, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Here's the clause. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love the world and love God. It's not possible. Your allegiances cannot be divided when it comes to your love. You have to love God, and if you do, you will not love the world. And so you might be saying, Pastor, what are you talking about? Like, aren't we supposed to, to love the world? Aren't we supposed to love the lost and all that kind of stuff? And yes, that is true. We're supposed to love unbelievers and, and love the world. But, but John is speaking to us a particular thing here this morning, and so I want to help us to understand what that looks like. But first, I want to help us to understand what this love that John is talking about looks like. So the word that John uses here is a word that means to, to welcome to entertain, to be fond of, or to love dearly, uh, or to be well-pleased or contented with. So what John is saying to us, and what he's saying to the Gnostics, who he's writing to, and the people who, who he's writing to, he's letting them know, he says, listen, you cannot be in love with the world, or in other words, you can't welcome the world into your space. See, we love the world by, by, by what we allow into our world, what we allow into our spirit and into our space. See, most of us, we're constantly allowing things, we're welcoming in things into our space, and then we wonder why we're starting to fall away from our relationship with Jesus. We wonder why our relationship isn't as strong, but that's because you've welcomed in some things into your spirit. In other words, you've you've welcomed some people into your life who have no business being in your life. You've welcomed some, some ideas and some thoughts into your life that have no place in your life at all. And so you know how it goes. We, we, we love our TV shows, but some of those shows just, they don't bless us how they should. We love to binge on our Netflix series. I do. I do. I love to binge on my Netflix series. But they don't always bless us the way that they should. Most of us are highly anticipating some albums coming out this year, and we're looking for our favorite rapper or singer or producer to put something out. But those things don't always bless our spirit. And so there's some things that we welcome into our spirit, and we, we welcome the world because of what we allow into our world. 
after that, what we do, John's telling us, he's saying, listen, don't just don't welcome the world, but then also don't entertain the world. See, we entertain the world by what we tolerate in our world. See, we we, we watch certain TV shows and, and, and we see a certain scene and we know, listen, we single, we don't really need to be looking at that stuff. And, and we married and we don't need to be looking at that stuff either because it, it draws our desires away from the one who we should have desire for. But, but we watch that stuff and we go, ah, you know, it's okay. It was just one scene. All I knew was going to be quiet in here today. It's okay. We, 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 we entertain the world by what we tolerate in our world. That's why sometimes we just let, we, sometimes we allow certain people to hang around us, even though we know they're not good for us. We let them stick around and we tolerate their behavior. You know, when you first got with her, you know, thought it was cute that she was always flipping off and going off on you. You thought it was sexy. She's like, oh, she's she fierce. But you come to find out after she punched you in your eye. <laughs> That it wasn't that good for you, but you tolerated it, which led you to becoming fond of it. And John says, don't be fond of the world. We become fond of the world by what we habitually overlook. See, we overlook stuff all the time. We see certain things in in people's character, uh, but more than that, we see certain things in ourselves and we overlook it. We say it's not that bad. It's just a little thing. It could be worse. And so what we do is we we, we, we try to figure into our lives like, man, you know, I, I could just be it'll be OK. But we habitually overlook those things. And guess what? We become fond of our anger. Our anger becomes a close friend to us. Our anger becomes our protector. Keeps people at bay. And so we start to love those things. We become fond of those things. And after that, what happens is we become well-pleased with the world. We become well-pleased with the world by what we consistently appreciate. You know, we appreciate things and we, and we look at certain things. And, you know, people say, well, Pastor, I know that it was a bunch of rape scenes in that show. And I know that it was a bunch of, you know, uh, lasciviousness, all that stuff going on in that show. But, Pastor, did you see the art underneath of it? No, <laughs> I didn't. Maybe I'm not smart enough, but we, we consistently appreciate stuff. And guess what? It, it produces a pleasure in us. That we begin to walk with. And so here's what I want to share this with you. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, our Lord finds our desires for him not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. Watch this. When infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on playing with mud pies in the slums because they cannot imagine the beauty of a holiday by the sea. Hear how he concludes this quote. He says, we are far too easily pleased. See, our problem is not that, 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 that we uh, don't get pleased. Our problem is that too, th- things too easily please us. That, that's why we stay in those relationships, and, and that's why we're comfortable with being a side chick and a side dude. And, and, in fact, that's why our culture has celebrated that is because we have been far too easily pleased. Instead of having an expectation of respect, instead of expecting the type of respect that won't allow for somebody to, to have a double life and, to, and to, to have one girl on the side and have another one over here and then pick you up when they decide to pick you up, we have an expectation of respect. But we're too far easily pleased. That's why we settle for the luxuries that we Seek after because we compare those earthly things to heavenly things and we say, yep, that's good enough. When Jesus is promising us earth, heavenly treasures that far surpass any earthly treasure that we might be able to accrue. 
And so then what happens after that, after we're well pleased with the world, guess what we become? We become content with the world. (laughs) And we become content with the world by what we settle for. See, making it out of the hood and building your own uh, empire down in Smyrna (laughs) becomes much more appealing than actually utilizing the resources to turn the hood into the kingdom of God. See, we need to turn our resources that God has given to us anyway and stop looking way down somewhere else and see what God is doing right here in this place. We've got to look in our community and see the beauty of God. I told you that a few weeks ago. Remember, it talks about seeing the God colors in the world. we got to look and see what's beautiful instead of trying to trade it in for something else. But it's a simple progression of thought that we have. It, it, it's simple. So first, first we become, we welcome the world into our space and then, and then we entertain it, which, which leads to us becoming fond of it, which leads us to being well pleased with the things of the world. And then finally we become content with it. It's a simple progression. And so what, what is John talking about when he's talking about the world? The world here is the word cosmos. It's a word that, uh, that and originally it had the idea of an ornament or a decoration, uh, speaking about the ornamentation of the universe, like the stars were like ornaments hanging up in the universe. And so uh, that word evolved. It's, it's like uh, it translates for us as cosmetic, cosmos, cosmetic, you'll, you'll get it. And so it translates like that for us. But uh, it, it, the word transition into this idea of worldly affairs and then, it, again, it transitioned, because language always transitions. It transitioned into this idea of the ungodly multitude. And so here's what you have to understand is that the whole circle of earthly goods, the endowments and riches, the advantages and pleasures of this life, which can I pause for a second and say, we know that they're hollow and frail and empty. <laughs> we know that already, but yet somehow those pleasures have seduced us away from God. Somehow our desire for acceptance has seduced us away from the community of God. Somehow our desire to to be loved and known has has drawn us away from God. And so this is what John is talking about when he's talking about the world. And because here's what happens is this, is the world has convinced us that it is worthy of our love. It's convinced us of that. Here's what we do. We, we surrender our hearts to the world because the world speaks to our inner longing for independence from the will of God. We're, we're always hoping to be independent from the will of God. And so we, we believe that pursuing the things of the world will somehow set us free. See, we want to be independent from the things of God. Ask Adam and Eve. Guess what they did? While they were in the garden, God said, listen, you can have any of these trees. Like, listen, go ahead, eat, eat and gorge yourself, whatever. Do, do what you want to do out here. Just don't touch this right here. What'd they do? They had to go and they had to touch it. Because we want what we can't have. <laughs> That's what we want. And so when we surrender our hearts to this longing because we think that the world will give us the freedom that we are searching for. If I can just secure the bag, I can have true happiness, Pastor. I can just secure the bag. But it don't matter how much that bag costs you. (laughs) You just want the bag. See, it doesn't matter if you neglect your family as long as you secure the bag. That's what the culture would tell you. It, it doesn't matter how much you neglect the community of God as long as you achieve the prominence in your field that you desire to have. It doesn't matter how much you forsake the will of God to reach the least, the last, and the loss, as long as we appear too busy to invest in anyone other than ourselves. See, we, we love to be busy. <laughs> That's a cold word today. I'm busy. You know, Pastor, I'm busy. I'm busy. And, if, and if you pull back the curtain on that, they won't have anything to show for it. So, so here's what we, do. We, we live in a world that sets aside the things of God for selfish gain. That's the world we live in. 
we can't even see the logic of walking away from an opportunity to advance our profiles and our portfolios to pursue God's desire for our lives. That seems illogical to us. But the world has convinced us that our desire in life is the only thing that matters. But God says to us, listen, sometimes the things that you think are, you're supposed to pursue, those aren't the things that I want for you. Sometimes the things that I want for you might cause you to have to turn your back on certain opportunities that you think are good for you. See, you might think this is going to put you in the best position to succeed, but God is saying, no, I've got a better way for you that doesn't look how you think it should look, but just trust in me and I'll get you to where you want to go. So what do we do? We pursue academic and vocational and social advancement. Because the world has convinced us that those things lead to happiness and are worthy of our love. Next, the world has convinced us that it has the answers that we need for life. See, one thing I I believe that the church, the 20th century and 21st century church, is going to have to answer to God for is that we have become guilty of taking our cues from the world. We have allowed the culture to legislate our morality through political agendas and social movements. That's what we've done. And I'm not mad. I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at the Me Too movement. I'm not mad at the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm not mad at no movement that's going on. But the Black the Me Too movement was lifted up as a model for justice and mercy. When Jesus already set a model for us for justice and mercy. Jesus started the greatest Me Too movement of all time when he said, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That's a Me Too movement. Treat me just like you treat you. (laughs) Jesus started the greatest Black Lives Matter movement of all time when he died on the cross for us and the veil was torn and the sky went black. That's a real Black Lives Matter for you. (laughs) For three hours, the sky was black. We was all the same. (laughs) We all looked the same in the dark. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Uh, Here's what the world has done, too. The world has convinced us that it'll never switch up on us. The world's trying to convince us that it's consistent. (laughs) It's been noted that the new default answer to the standard question, how are you, is no longer good. We don't say, how are you? I'm good. The standard response has become, how are you, man? Busy. That's become our standard response come our default. And such busyness is often perceived as the new normal of the 21st century. We think by being more busy that we're more productive. But the reality is, is that the people who are the busiest that I know, they're the least productive people I've ever seen in my life. They're so busy that they can't accomplish anything. Like, well, bro, like, you ain't got no time to talk? Like, nothing? I mean, you, you ain't got no time to spend time with somebody else? Like, you just busy? Well, what did you do? Ah, uh, well, <laughs> just confused. <laughs> and see, what's happened is cultural advantage, uh, the cultural advancement of the 21st century, they promised us, promised us more pr- productivity and more free time. Yet we are busy and unproductive, even though it promised us productivity and free time. When it comes to our overall happiness in our culture, eight out of ten Americans would say that they're happy. 
And that's a drop from 10 years ago when 9 out of 10 Americans identified as happy. But the liberation jargon of the culture has promised you more happiness. Just do what you want to do and you'll be happy. Don't be confined by the constraints and the constructs of the world. Like, don't be confined to that. Just do what you want to do and you'll be happy. Have sex with whoever you want to have sex with and you'll be fine. Yes, statistics show (laughs) that people are having less sex today than they were having 10 years ago. Even though the culture has said you'll be liberated if you just do what you want. The culture has tried to trick us into thinking that it is consistent. One of the greatest changes over the past decade is how our culture, how people in our culture see themselves in relationship to others. For all the technological advances, we still have a desire for human connectedness that has not been met. You know what I'm talking about. You got 5,000 friends on Facebook. You can't accept no more friend requests. Because you done reached the limit. But on Friday night, you'll be stuck just sitting up in your room. I was trying not to go there. (laughs) That's what we do, though. The, the, the culture has tricked us, though, and made us believe the promises that is laid out for us, that if we would just surrender our lives to the culture and what the culture says, then we'll be more connected than we ever were before. But the reality is, is that we're less connected than ever. You don't need to go to church. Just log in online. I know that that's sometimes is necessary for some people. But you can't always log in online. Well, you know, I read my Bible, Pastor, and so, you know, I read my word. That's interesting. (laughs) I read all them books in college. I don't remember none of that stuff. Didn't help me one little bit. That's not true. It helped me a little bit. But, like, we we think that that stuff on, on its own is sufficient enough for us. But there is something to having the community of God around you that causes you to grow, that causes you to flourish, that causes you to see yourself in a ways that you couldn't see yourself without it. But yet the culture has told us that all you need is to just do you, boo boo. But that's not true. Ten years ago. One out of ten Americans identified as lonely. Today, three out of ten identify as lonely. And that shift has happened in the midst of social media age. The culture lies to us. But watch this. Jesus promises us the good life. He promises us joy unspeakable. And he promises us deep connection with others. And he has never broken his promise to us. God keep his promises to you. He keeps his promises to me. So here's what happens. Here's what happens. What we think is that we think that we can serve two masters. We think that we can love the world and love God at the same time. That's why, you know, we do certain things and we act like it doesn't matter. That's why we live a certain way and act like uh, it's all good. God knows my heart. Yes, he does. He knows your heart. He absolutely does. And that's why he's going to hold you accountable to your heart as well. So you better be careful when you say that to God, <laughs> because he is going to hold you accountable for your heart, for the deeds of your heart. But Jesus says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Matthew six twenty four says, no one can serve two masters since he will either hate the one and what? Love the other. Or he'll be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You can't serve God and men. Who are you going to serve? Who do you love? See, y'all, y'all, y'all can't help yourselves. I knew it. I knew it. I knew somebody was going to go there. But who do you love? You know, we go around saying, do it for the culture. So we do. I'm doing it for the culture, Pastor. Well, <laughs> John is saying here in this passage, don't do it for the culture. 
do it for the creator. See, you, you got to do it for the creator because the culture is fleeting. Culture will pass. Culture will change. It'll be a different culture in, in five more years. It'll be different. I know y'all like 20, but it's going to be different. <laughs> you can't see it right now. It's going to be different. I remember we used to wear these long T-shirts down here. You know what I'm saying? Walking like that <laughs> with the Jabot jeans on for no reason, just, you know what I'm saying, like this. We thought that was everything. We thought that would never end. <laughs> Walking around like, dip set, <laughs> all this stuff. The culture is going to change, y'all. <laughs> and so don't put your hope and faith in something that's going to change. Put your hope in the one who never changes. And so first you, gotta, you have to know that your desires, they cannot be divided. My second idea is this, is that your desires, what did I say? <laughs> your desires, <laughs> desires, I don't know what word that is, but your desires must come from God. And here's where we get into the mess of it, stickiness of it. Verse 16, he says, for everything in the world is not from the Father, but in the world. And then he lists what those things are. He says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions. Pastor, was lust? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> lust is an interesting idea, but one that we got to engage carefully. And the reason why we have to engage it carefully is because lust is not a single issue matter. It's not. Lust is very complex. See, lust, we, when we hear the word lust, we think about sex. He's like, Pastor, I ain't lusting. I'm abstinent. I'm good, Pastor. I'm holding down. It's tight. Everything locked down. Tight, tight. Like, everything good. <laughs> right? But Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. That's number one. But number two is this. You can lust in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take you one further. Ready? You can lust on your Amazon Prime account. Yes, you can. You can lust at the Nike store. Yes, you can. You can lust for that promotion on your job. And see, in our culture, everything's bigger and better and, 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 and more robust. And so we lust for size, right? We want a bigger car. We want a bigger house. We want bigger muscles. We want bigger bank accounts. Amen. <laughs> I get joy when I think about Listen, that's what we want. We want bigger bank accounts. But some of us even want to distort our bodies to have bigger and better. Because the culture has told you that that's what's best. You can't scroll through your phone without seeing people who have been <laughs> genetically modified and enhanced. <laughs> I love that commercial, the Trisket one. <laughs> She's like, neither am I. <laughs> genetically modified or enhanced. But <laughs> here's what happens, though. You got to see this. And when it comes to lust... I'm going to try to best explain this to you. Lust ain't logical. This is ain't logical. I know you're not supposed to say ain't. But lust ain't logical. Lust isn't logical. I remember I just like got out of college and back then it was um dude named Eric Benet. I remember Eric Benet is. Yeah, Eric Benet was married to Holly Berry. And at the time, Holly Berry was the finest woman on the planet. Like, everybody wanted Holly Berry. Y'all, dudes, where y'all at? <laughs> What's up? Like, y'all ain't like Holly Berry? I got me out here by myself. Okay, I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Respect. I see you. Everybody quiet. Like, what's up? Like, you're like, I like Holly Berry. I thought, listen, if I could just get Holly Berry, I'd be good. 
Oh, y'all sitting next to y'all. My wife ain't here. <laughs> Yo, just nod your head a little bit if you with me. Just, just, just scratch your ear or something if you with me. <laughs> but, right, what happened, the craziest thing happened. Holly Berry was the baddest woman on the planet. And, thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Listen, <laughs> I'm getting too much trouble. That was before you. It was before you. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but what happened, Eric Bonet cheated on Holly Berry. Well, a girl doesn't even look nothing like, halfway like Holly Berry looked. And so, like me and my boys, we was like scratching our head like, how you do that? Like, how you cheat on Holly? Miss Barry, not Miss Barry. You can't cheat on Miss Barry like that. Not with her. Like you can no. But here was what it spoke to. It spoke to the reality that lust is illogical. That's why lust will have you at the grocery store at one PM one AM in the morning buying snacks <laughs> in the middle of the night. Looking around, make sure nobody see you. <laughs> Got your cart, you'd be like, thought of somebody I knew. <laughs> Lust is illogical. It don't make sense. The other thing about lust is this. Lust can't see. Because lust is nearsighted. It's nearsighted in the mud. Lust can't see past the moments. And so what we realize is, is that you can ruin a 15-year marriage in just five minutes. That's because lust is nearsighted. Sometimes all you can see is the life that you're building for yourself. And it causes you to be nearsighted when it comes to the kingdom of God around you. And so you're so busy building your life, you're so busy uh, building your own empire that you miss the kingdom of God. Because you can't see past the moment. And I want to I want to call us today to not be nearsighted. See, John goes on to tell us, he says that lust, here's what lust starts. Lust starts with the lust that's in the flesh. And I'm going to explain what the flesh is, but the, he talks about that lust starts in the flesh. The flesh has to do with your natural inclinations. We are all born in sin, shaped in iniquity. That's in our flesh. Paul said that he wrestles against the flesh. And all these things, like, and, 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 and at times, we have to understand and see that it's innate in us to struggle with lust. It's innate, it's innate in us to want other things besides God. <clears throat> and so what we have to see is this. Lust is nearsighted and you can't see, but then lust refuses the idea of delayed gratification. We're such a microwave culture. We don't want the pastor to read too many verses of scripture during the sermon. Like, pastor, come on, like, you read like 19 verses. It's the Bible, though. <laughs> like, that's what we're here for. <laughs> like, we hear around the word. Like, <clears throat> Like, we, we want everything right now. We got J.G. Wimford in our heart. It's my money, and I want it now. We kick and scream when we don't get it. But we got to see that this delayed gratification, because here's what we all want. We all want our best life now. Even though your life ain't set up to have the best life at this moment, you still lazy. Ouch. Your alarm clock just be blurring. Mine too. My wife just kicks me now. She go. 
Sorry, forget. I don't want to start no fights in the church. <laughs> Listen, your life isn't designed yet for your best life now. You don't have the structure to uphold God pouring out a whole blessing on you yet. You ain't ready for that. But I just want my best life right now. Jesus, I need that dress. Because, you know, Beyonce, the queen, she had that dress on and it was fly. And I'm just trying to get, I'm just trying to get like that. You know how hard Beyonce worked? <laughs> I just got to get them new J's because, man, I saw a pair of J's the other night and I was looking online. You know, I was just looking, just browsing because, you know, I was just browsing. <laughs> Not buying, just browsing. <laughs> so I saw them joints. And I was like, yo, those are fly. They are colors, too. They was black and green. And I was like, man, it's color. We're going to get it. I'm going to rock them up here. And everybody's going to be like, oh, look at that. That's what I thought, right? The particular site that I was on had them joints at $10,000. And I was like, um, no, I'm good. <laughs> like, it's just maybe we're on the wrong website. You got to go somewhere else. But that's what happens with us. We, we, and, and oftentimes, we're not even worried about stuff until we see somebody else with it. That's how tricky lust is. We weren't even worried about it. But they start talking about it. And here's what happens. Lust happens when you reach outside of what God has provided for you. We want more. That's the cry of our culture. More, more, more. I went to the Apple store the other day because I was going to upgrade my phone because I've been on T-Mobile jump on demand forever. And so I was like, let me just go see what's up with the phone. And so I'm in there and I've got the, the iPhone 10, the, the X. And so I'm saying to the girl, like, yeah, I just want to, you know, get the upgrade. I want to go to the 11. And she was like, well, you know, if you get the 11 Pro Max, like, you have to put this much down. I said, I'm not trying to put nothing down. I got jump. I ain't trying to do all that. And so she was like, well, if you get the 11, I mean, it's honestly, it's the same phone. And I was like, for real? She was like, yeah, it's the same phone. And so my desire for that, I was chasing something that I thought was going to be new and better. But in reality, it was the same old model. And that's what we do. We think, man. My wife is getting on my nerves. She's always coming at me. She's always saying something. She's always nagging me. Man, if I could just get me somebody else who wouldn't nag me all the time. But guess what? You take you wherever you go. But guess what? <laughs> you're going to get over there with her. And you're going to think it's going to be better. It's going to be better for a little while. But then you're going to show up. And guess what? She's going to start protesting that you be the man that you say you are. That's all nagging is. It's women protesting that we be the men who we say we are. I'm trying to help you out, brothers. Listen, that's all it is. She is always nagging me, man. She's always nagging me. No, she's trying to get you to be who you say you are, who you're supposed to be. Anyway, <laughs> husbands don't like me right now. <laughs> but look, that's what happens. It happens when we reach outside of what God has already provided for us. And so we look at the husband that we have. And we start reshaping them. God, give them Morris Chestnut's chin. Give them Michael B. Jordan's chest. Yeah, Jesus, just like that. Like, like don't trade, don't trade the one you got. Like, Michael B. Jordan don't have the ability to call out the, the spirit of God in you in that way. So be careful. So, here's what goes on. It talks about the lust of the flesh, right? The lust of the eye and the pride of life. This lust of the flesh is it's, it's to live life dominated by your senses. You know, I just feel, <laughs> Pastor. <laughs> I just feel I'm like, okay, so you're just going to change your whole life structure based on something that you feel. Everything. It's on something that you feel. Okay. But to live life dominated by your senses, it, it, you know, it's like 
being gluttonous for food, longing for luxury, being selfish in your use of your possessions. But here's what you got to know. Here's what I want you to know. Is the flesh is forgetful. You see, the flesh will forget. The flesh will forget that the thing that you're complaining about now is something that you were praying for five months ago. The flesh will forget that the husband that you prayed God would send you, they're there now. And guess what? Now they're a, dis- they're, they're a disturbance to you because the flesh is forgetful. You start longing for other stuff. And so John is saying, listen, the lust of the flesh will, will get to you. He said the lust of the eye. This phrase has to do with, with, with covetousness. In other words, keeping up with the Joneses or whoever they are now, the Carters, whoever it is now we try to keep up with. But it's in regard to appearances. Our house got to look a certain way. Our our car got to have a certain emblem on it. Our our vacation home's got to be in a certain place. You know, I be getting mad sometimes because I've watched HGTV too much. And I didn't watch that before I got married, FYI. My wife makes me watch that stuff, and now I like it. But, like, I'll be watching it, and people will be, like, buying their second vacation home. And their budget is, like, $1.4 million for that vacation home. And i just be envious. And so I'd be like, turn it off. Like, you ain't going to watch this. Turn it off. They'd be like, oh, well, you know, whatever it costs, we're fine. Anyway. Meanwhile, I'm over here. <laughs> Never mind. But not only in that, but we, we desire to keep up with the Joneses in terms with status. We want certain social positions in life. We, we, we do that in terms of social acceptability of our relationships. And so th- these are the things that the Christian is not supposed to love. So in other words, when... when when we are content, as Christians, we ought to be content to be overlooked for the promotion on the job because we know that promotion comes from the Father. And so if you didn't get promoted this time, guess what? It wasn't your time. And God is the one who promotes you anyway. In the pride of life, this, this is a unique phrase that uh, it's not in necessarily in keeping up with the Joneses, but in exceeding the Joneses. We don't want anybody to be doing better than us. So that's where the pride of life comes in. And John's saying, no, we can't walk like that because that's not from the Father. Here's what will happen. Lust will lead every area of your life if you let it. It just will. Lust will lead in every area of your life. And let me help you out. Don't make any assumptions about where lust lives. I saw you looking at her. I saw you. Meanwhile, he wasn't paying attention to her. He was looking at the one over there who was fully dressed. You thought he was looking at the one with the booty shorts on. But he was lusting over there because lust is illogical, right? But don't make any assumptions about where lust lives. And here's James helps us out with this. The brother of Jesus, he helps us out with this. In, in James chapter 1, verse 13, he says, James chapter 1, verse 13, he says, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. And I'm done. Terry, you can come on. He says, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But here's, here's what I want you to see. Verse 14. He says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own lust. Then after lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it is fully grown up, gives birth to death. See, your lust wants to drive you in every area of your life. But not only that, it wants to drag you. Nothing in life can drag you like lust. Lust will have you looking up and confused wondering how you got to this place, wondering how you ruined everything that you had built for yourself. Because in one moment of lust, lust wants to lead you, it wants to drag you. 
And then finally, lust wants to destroy you. Don't play with lust in your life. It will destroy you. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Get rid of it. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. You can't take fire into your bosom and not get burned. Don't play around with it. And so I know some things are familiar, you know. You just been there. You just always been around. You know, food's been my faithful companion. But don't play with it. It will destroy you. He says this as he closes out. He says, the world and all its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of the Father will remain forever. Lust is always in contrast to the will of God. So anytime you succumb to lust, you're fighting against the will of God in your life. Augustine, the African bishop, he said this, he said, sin comes when we take a perfectly natural desire or longing or ambition and try desperately to fulfill it without God. Not only is it a sin, but it is a perverse distortion of the image of the creator in us. All these things and all security are rightly found completely and only in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Only you satisfy Jesus. And so we got to stop chasing after things that won't satisfy us, y'all. I know they make promises. <laughs> I know those things promise you, but they will not satisfy you. Only Jesus will satisfy. Jesus has the answer for every one of your longings. It's just lean into him. He's the lover of your soul. Lean into him. He's the one who provides you with total acceptance. Lean into him. He's the one that has healing for your depression. Lean into him. He's the one that could take away the anxiety in your heart. Lean into Jesus. He's the only one who can satisfy. Father, help us to be satisfied with you. Nothing else. Nothing else but you, Jesus. So, God, we long for satisfaction. God, God, help us to fight against the lust in our hearts. Help us to fight against the desires in our hearts that, that don't follow after you, God. Help us to have a proven desire. And in that, we will prove it. We will prove our love for you when we turn away from wickedness and we turn away from our sinful desires. God, help us today. We need you, Jesus. Have your way in us. Receive glory through us. Be praised today, Jesus. It's only you satisfied.